Welcome back to Circle City News. I'm your host, Sophie Hostetler, and today we are highlighting a local nonprofit organization here in Indianapolis, the Julian Center. And um, with us today is Jamie Schnerpel, who is the Director of the Public Affairs for the Julian Center. Welcome, Jamie. Thank you, Sophie. I appreciate it. I'm glad to be here. Yeah. So why don't we start off strong? And can you tell us a little bit about what the Julian Center does for people who may not be aware of the organization? Certainly. So the Julian Center is a victim services provider, uh, specifically focused on providing support and services to survivors who are fleeing and experiencing domestic violence, um, primarily here in central Indiana, focusing on Marion County, but we work throughout the state and also sometimes throughout the country. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, so I get, if it's okay, I'll just sort of jump right in. If that's a, all right. Perfect. So um, we actually were established in 1975 um, in a, a little house on um, the west side of, of Indianapolis called mm-hmm. Hallville. Um, and we were primarily a referral service for emergency personnel and first responders to connect folks that they saw um, victimized with community resources. And so really, we were kind of a conduit uh, for survivors at the time. Um, And in the late 90s, under the leadership of Andalini, we kind of blew the top off, if you will, and moved up to uh, 21st and Meridian. So we were a little bit more um, centrally located, but also more public, which I think helped to broaden understanding and certainly accessibility um, to our programming um, and that is where we have been since. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, what kind of information can you tell us about um, domestic violence and trafficking that goes on here, not only in Indianapolis, but maybe even, um, you know, you were mentioned that you guys work all in all of um, Indiana. So is there any other information or facts or anything that um, the public may not be aware of when it comes to these kinds of issues? Sure. Um, I always like to tell people that domestic violence doesn't discriminate. Um, There's no sort of victim type, if you will. I think that's been a long misunderstood um, point in domestic violence. I think historically, we always thought of this as a women's problem where women were victims and um, perpetrators were men. And Mm -hmm. um, what we are seeing and what we continue to educate on is that's not actually the case all the time. Um, both victims and perpetrators can look, you know, the same as you and I. And um, one of the pieces that we try to educate on is that um, that piece that it, it's that uh, every person who is suffering is a survivor, whether they're female identifying, male identifying, a member of our LGBTQ community. Um, there could be, a, you know, a perpetrator who is male identifying, a perpetrator who's female identifying. So I always like to highlight the fact that, nope, there is not a one size fits all sort of definition. Right. The other piece that I think is important that people understand is domestic violence is not just physical. Um, a lot of what we focus on is broadening understanding of what domestic violence is. Um, It includes everything from financial manipulation and control to verbal and emotional abuse to physical abuse. Um, It is ultimately about controlling another person. So 
it's whatever means necessary to control the the life of uh, my partner or, you know, my uh, spouse, if you will. So um, lots of sort of nuance in there, I think. And I don't know that even I, when I started here, understood how pervasive um, financial abuse, emotional abuse, and, and domestic abuse as, uh, as an umbrella is. Yeah, yeah. I think it's great that you um, highlighted the fact that, you know, uh, survivors and perpetrators of abuse can be anybody and can look just like you and me. And you never really know people until, not until things start to happen, I guess, but um, you just there's no real way to like see it's like, Oh, you know, you can point them out in a crowd. So I think that was really interesting that you uh, touched on that because I agree of you. It can always be the last person you expect it to be, or, um, and the fact that there's different kinds of, obviously there's different kinds of abuse, but different kinds of um, domestic abuse, how you touched on the financial aspect and everything. Um, what kind of programs does the Julian Center offer um, for these survivors? I know that on the Julian Center's website that talks a lot about, you know, like providing emergency shelter and legal services. Could, could you tell us a little bit about what maybe um, some of that looks like for someone who's coming to you all? Certainly. So the Julian Center is um, more a crisis hub. So we work in... Um, in evaluating the immediate need for survivors. So we have a um, crisis line that is staffed 24 hours a day. Uh, So anyone who needs to access us can, no matter what time of day it is. We do have an emergency shelter and that is open to everyone. We have uh, male identifying, female identifying um, survivors who come in on their own. We have families who come in Um, we are an agency that is open to everyone. So if you identify as a survivor victim of domestic violence, you can call us. Um, we also do provide services throughout the community. Um, in general, we serve, or on average, rather, we serve about 2,500 people a year and that is adults and children. Yeah. It's a lot of people. Um, only about 500 or 520 of those come through shelter. So the primary, we're primarily focused on keeping people safe where they are if we can. Um, Otherwise we do have the shelter space available. So that's kind of our emergency crisis intervention. We have a a counselor, crisis intervention counselor who provides very short-term counseling. And that's more to help with the immediacy. What can I do right now? to help you feel more comfortable, to help you feel safer than you had in previous hours, days, weeks, months. Um, And then we get to the point where we will connect with other community partners for longer term counseling. Um, We offer advocacy. um, So that looks a little similar to case management where we're helping Mm -hmm. to navigate all of the different nuanced um, community resources that are out there, uh, helping apply for Um, maybe state-funded support or housing, Um, but we don't actually do it. We work with the survivor to accomplish the goals that they've set for themselves. So it's very much an empowerment model approach to working with survivors so that we're not saying this is what you have to do. We're saying, what do you want to do? I mentioned a little bit earlier that domestic violence is fundamentally about the control over somebody else. 
What we strive to do is flip that on its head and give the control back to the survivor who's coming into us. So that's how our advocacy is structured. Um, we do have a legal services coordinator on site and her primary focus is to connect survivors to our legal partners throughout the community so that if they need assistance with a protective order or uh, child custody or divorce um, or immigration concerns um, or housing concerns, we have those resources available. Um, we also work with community partners to create a long-term plan. A lot of our folks, when they come to us, are either fleeing or have fled their home. Um, mm -hmm. All of their personal finances, maybe their neighborhood, their home schools, those kinds of things. So we work with other partners um, to pull back together that individual's life or that family's life. Um, that sounds awesome. I love your guys' advocacy model because um, in my own personal experiences and other people's experiences, I heard of, um, I feel like that's the hardest thing is getting to know what you need, when you need it. You know what I mean? With them. Sure. Especially if someone's like fleeing, like you said, or it's like an immediate situation, it's hard to know even what you need in that moment and being, you know, being able to be presented with options and um, care is very commendable, very commendable indeed. And it's helpful because, you know, you don't know what you don't know. And if you're in that position, you know, whether it's the seventh or eighth time you've fled or the first, there are still so many things out there that you have to navigate. So it's, it's great to have a trailer leader or, you know, somebody to hold your hand through it. So yeah, I appreciate that very much. Oh, definitely. Definitely. I agree. There was one other thing you said, what was it? Um, Oh, when you first started, you felt like you had, a, not that you had a lot to learn, but you learned more over time. And I feel like anybody who um, starts learning about domestic violence or, you know, sexual assault or any type of abuse going on, I feel like there's always more to learn and more oh. to know and gain insight, especially when you haven't been a personally been affected or been a survivor in that way. Obviously, that can give you more insight, but um I think that's awesome. How long have you been with the Julian Center? So I actually joined the Julian Center as a student. Um, so in my previous life, I worked in corporate America for a long time. <laughs> right. And um, I relocated to Indiana. And part of that relocation was kind of taking a minute to figure out what I wanted to be when I grew up. Right. And um, so I went back to school and I uh, got my BSW from uh, IU School of Social Work. Um, and the Julian Center was my practicum placement. And so I okay. came and I joined in August of 2014 as a student. Um, and at the time we had a housing program that we were running um, and the person that was over it left about midway through my practicum placement. Um, so I applied for the job and I became the um, supportive housing advocate for the Julian Center. And then about two years later or so, I moved into the director of programs position. So I kind of had purview over all of the programs that survivors came into contact with. And then I um, moved into the director of public affairs role on the, on the downswing of COVID, um, which was kind of a split of my role, I think, at the time. Uh, there was a lot of, as you can imagine, interactive with interaction with community through press and um, 
communiques like this. And so it gave me an opportunity to shift a little bit, but, but still stay yeah. involved. And um, yeah, so it's been, it's been it's a great been- journey and I've loved it. Good. It sounds like uh, the Julian Center is very lucky to have you and for you to have been there oh, so thank long. You. It seems like you obviously are very knowledgeable about everything. I'm glad survivors have someone like you at the head of all of this. I appreciate that. Thank work. you so much. Thank yeah. You. Um, I know on the website as well, there's different ways people can get involved. Um, I know that looks like it can look differently depending on what people can are able to do or would like to do. I know there's like can do donations there's a wish list going for the organization i believe could you tell us more about how people can get involved in some of the other volunteer programs like the thrifty threads and things like that certainly so yes our wish list is on the website um and we try to keep that as updated as possible um we also will push out uh specific asks through social media so for example uh, leading up to Halloween, we sent a push out saying, hey, we need pumpkins and candy and, and those kinds of things. So always kind of keep an eye on those. We try to keep those as updated as possible. And that's a really great way to know if you're going to be running a donation drive or if you want to do something sort of as a um, you know Saturday event. Uh, those are good, good things to keep an eye on. Um, we are in the process of staffing up and kind of going through a little bit of a shift. And so with that comes the reintroduction of our volunteer program. Um, we often have corporate partners and local organizations who want to come in and um, volunteer time as a group. And so there is an email that uh, can be used to say, hey, we're interested in doing that. And the same for in- individuals as well. Um, as we continue to staff up and continue to kind of rebuild post-COVID, um, I think the volunteer program will become more robust. Um, but we certainly do have lots of opportunity for folks to come in and, and donate their time. I appreciate that you mentioned Thrifty Threads. Uh, Thrifty Threads is our resale store. They are located at 86th and Ditch. Um, okay. One of the things that I love to highlight about Thrifty Threads is that all of our survivors shop on a voucher system. So they're able to access those um, donations for free, um, which helps them to, again, help to put back their lives and and rebuild. Um, Thrifty Threads is a fantastic place to volunteer. Uh, We always need volunteers at Thrifty Threads. If you can imagine, all of the uh, donations need to be sorted through, need to be put on the floor. Um, And so, yeah, and again, reach out to... Um, myself, my email's on the website, or um, Mayumi is the uh, director of retail services at the Thrifty Friends. So, oh, okay, cool, cool. Yeah. I didn't know that that was the. Um... That was the, I, I just saw Thrifty Threads on the site. I didn't really know what it was about. So that's really cool that yeah. there's a place that survivors can go to, you know, just restock on basic, basic needs and things that a lot of us, um, probably take for granted or don't even think about most of the time. So that's a great thing. Um, You mentioned the crisis hotline earlier, and I just want to drop the number here for our listeners. Crisis hotline for the Julian Center is 317-920-9320. I just wanted to make sure that we included the actual number in this episode. But um, what does the, the crisis hotline look like if someone's going to call can you walk us through a little bit about about how that would what that would look like? Absolutely. So, um, as I mentioned, it's staffed twenty four hours a day. 
um, anyone who calls into the, the crisis line will go through an assessment. Um, we always approach every call with the person on the other line is telling their story. They are the authority on that story. And so we do have to get some information, but we're careful to be supportive through that discussion. But through that initial contact, we're assessing, okay, can the person stay where they are with support or do we need to get them into shelter? And so that assessment is done pretty quickly um, at the beginning of the call. And we'll go through several questions, you know, to ascertain why you're calling, what's happened that prompted the phone call, what you need. Um, and then we sort of divide folks into two pots, right? There's the, the folks that uh, need immediate safety. Maybe they've already fled or they're attempting to flee. Um, and we structure that a little bit differently for obvious reasons. I can't go through all the questions and all the assessment um, pieces, but in general, we go through uh, several very clear-cut questions and, and directives to make sure we can get folks safe. On the other hand, those are those community-based folks. If you're safe where you are, or we can help you to be safer, what can we do right now? What can we do in a week or so? And how do we put back together what you need? A lot of times when folks are calling from the community, they're calling for things like rental assistance, utility assistance. Um, maybe they do have some legal questions, but their um, need for safe haven is a little bit lower. And so we try to work with folks um, wherever they are. Either way, we always do need to speak with the individual. So as well-intentioned as I may be for my sister, cousin, friend, neighbor, um, we always have to speak with the individual because we are a voluntary program and we won't make people come into shelter. We won't make people stay here that don't want to stay here. Um, so it really is everything on their terms. So we will need to speak with the individual, but we are here 24 hours a day. That's awesome. That's awesome to hear. Um, and that's amazing that you guys have a 24 hour crisis line. How far does that line reach? Because I know you said that it's you mostly work in Marion County right now, but you've reached outward into the state. So could someone from a different county or someone who's not living in Indi directly in Indianapolis or nearby be able to call and still um, get some help through you through the Julian Center? Oh, absolutely. And we're um, partners in the Indiana Coalition um, Against Domestic Violence, which encapsulates oh. all of the domestic violence providers throughout the state. Um, and so we all work together. So if for some reason there is somebody in Hamilton County who, for whatever reason, needs to either relocate or there's no space there, we have had folks come in. Um, so it's pretty flexible. Um, we do focus our attention on Marion County. It's the largest county and we're the only emergency shelter for domestic violence. So you might, um, we might work a little bit harder to potentially get you connected with a shelter that's a little bit closer but it doesn't mean that we're not here and it doesn't mean that we're not going to help you. Anybody who calls will be offered some level of service, even if it's not something that we can directly do, we'll put you into contact with folks that can. Um, and yes, we've, I mean, there have been times where the national network have, have reached out to us for assistance, getting someone relocated wow. or getting somebody safe. So we're pretty flexible and pretty accessible to the folks that, that need us. If, if we're the, the call that you, um, choose to make, we hold that in high regard and, and we recognize you're putting your faith in us. And so we're going to try to meet your need however we can. 
that sounds so awesome. And the way you you've been talking about everything just really warms my heart. Like I said earlier, it's just very comforting knowing that there's an organization out there that's doing the most and doing their absolute best for survivors and for the community. And so I'm just so happy that you wanted to talk to us and oh, that we're highlighting you. you guys. Um, it's really, really cool to hear about. And um, kind of on that same note, what's one thing that you're, you've been proud of the organization accomplishing since um, you've been there? You know, I, I am so proud of all of the staff here. I think um, this is really, really tough work to do. It is very challenging to stick it out. Um, I think, and I'm, I'm sure I'm not the only one to say this, but I think the way we came through COVID um, and are still coming through it is remarkable. We saw um, an increase of domestic violence homicide post-COVID to the tune of 181%. And so it could have been very easy for our staff to say, I can't do this anymore. What we're doing doesn't make a difference. Um, but the fact of the matter is we were open. We were still receiving phone calls. We were here when lockdowns were lifted um, and we're still doing it. And so I think that is probably what I'm most proud of. Um, it's not really kind of an event or something to point to, but more a mindset and a commitment from the folks that we have here. Um, we really couldn't, we, we couldn't operate without our staff and certainly not without our crisis, um, our crisis line staff who just continue to crush it every single day. So I, just the level of pride of the commitment of our folks is pretty incredible. That yeah. is so sweet. I'm about to tear up legitimately. <laughs> Just I'm because, so no, it's beautiful <laughs> to hear, and I'm so glad that you have a staff and people that are willing to go through, you know, those hard times, and especially with COVID happening and post-COVID, and everyone trying to get back to normal, even these days, and yeah. trying to feel normal. See, it's so eye-opening and just amazing, I guess. There's no other word that comes to my mind when, you know, you're talking about your staff and how much that they want to be there. And even when it gets tough, like you said, because I'm sure you and your staff have seen some crazy stories and things that have happened to people. And it can just be hard to listen to people's stories sometimes. But the fact that you're still there and people are still putting in the work and trying to help these people is just um, kind of puts like my faith back in humanity a little bit, especially in Indi here in Indianapolis, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. So that's awesome. I commend you. It seems like um, you must have some good management and, you know, higher ups and supervisors doing the right things and training people the right way. Otherwise, I don't think um, you could be as successful as you guys are. So that's amazing. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. I appreciate yeah. that very much. <laughs> of course. Um, are there any upcoming events or opportunities that people could get involved with um, within the month or the maybe November, December, or anything you guys are doing that you'd want to plug or anything else? Yeah. So we are, um, you know, the holidays are coming. Um, so we're actually getting ready to launch our holiday program um, called our holiday adoptive family program. Mm -hmm. um, and so we'll be, putting that information out on our website and throughout um, social media. And that's an opportunity for folks to give back around the holidays. Um, we always like to 
you know, welcome folks who want to donate maybe even a meal to staff or to survivors. Um, we've been really fortunate in the past where we've had some um, partners who have brought dinner in and who have brought breakfast in. Um, and it's, it's just, it makes us all feel kind of a little bit better about the holidays. Um, so those are kind of two things that will be present on our, our website and our social media in terms of donating and, and things that you can um, do to celebrate the survivorship here. That's awesome. And really quick, while I'm thinking about it, I wanted to mention that um, if you're obviously, I think if you just Google search the Julian Center, the website should come up, but it is um, there at www.juliancenter.org. And um, like Jamie mentioned earlier, there is the crisis hotline on there. There is um, her email and a couple other emails and um, phone numbers to get in touch with the Julian Center if anyone is in need of assistance or is looking to volunteer or donate or reach out to them. I fully support anyone doing that. And um, thank you so much for coming on here. Is there anything else you'd like to plug or highlight from the Julian Center's organization? No, I think we covered it. I really appreciate you having me, Sophie. Thank you. Yes, of course. Thank you so much for uh, spending some time talking to me today. I think it was a great um, thing for me to come across online. Um, and I'm so glad that you were uh, had the time to talk to us today. So thank you. And um, thanks. Yes, of course. And thanks to everyone who supports this podcast. Uh, please continue to listen and watch us on Facebook, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and anywhere that plays fine podcasts. Or visit our blog at circlecitynews.org. Thank you guys. Have a great day.